I uh, remember the day that Mother Teresa died. It was uh, less than a week after Princess Diana died as a result of a car accident in Paris. Actually, it was six days later. You, you uh, may remember that too if you're my age or older. Um, and you may then remember how obsessed the world was with Princess Di's death. It became a cultural phenomenon all of its own. And uh, in that extraordinary um, grief, Mother Teresa's death was kind of completely overshadowed. Although, of course, there were various comparisons made, you may remember, especially with respect to both of them being seen as champions of the underdog. Well, uh, this morning, we continue a seven-part series um, on, for want of a better title, Famous Christians of the 20th Century. And today, we'll be looking at Mother Teresa of Calcutta, or uh, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, or Saint Teresa of Kolkata, as the city is now known, born Agnes, actually, born Angizi Gonj... Bon something... I just can't pronounce her original Albanian name. My apologies, but in English, her Christian name would have been Agnes. Um, as I explained last week, if you were with us, when we looked at the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, there is a place for considering the lives of other Christians in order that we might consider how the grace of God was manifest in their life, and so that we might be, in the words of our prayer book, encouraged by their example to run with perseverance the race that, is, that lies before us. So who was Mother Teresa? Well, in overview, a Roman Catholic nun who lived most of her life in India, serving the poorest of the poor. She founded a Roman Catholic religious organization, the Missionaries of Charity, an organization that today has well over 5,000 sisters serving in at least... 140 countries, an organization that opens and sustains orphanages, hospitals, hospices, clinics, pharmacies, schools, and counseling services. Mother Teresa uh, traveled extensively, and she was famous, instantly recognizable by millions of people, especially in the 1980s and 90s. She was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979 in addition to various other significant awards and prizes. And in her lifetime, she met with presidents and prime ministers, celebrities and royalty. To the Roman Catholic Church, she is now officially a saint, having been canonized, that is to say, officially recognized as saint, on the 4th of September 2016. Uh, the idea of uh, sainthood uh, is um, a confusing one to Protestant ears, so I'll explain a little bit more about that later. And so then, to millions of people today, she is Saint Teresa of Calcutta, or Kolkata, patron saint, along with St. Francis Xavier, of that Indian city. Let's have a look at her life and work well, Mother Teresa was born in 1910 into a Kosovo Albanian family in the city of Kopja, which today is the capital of North Macedonia. Um, she was named 
I've got in my notes now her um, Albanian name, which I won't attempt to pronounce, but let's call her Agnes. Um, she was named Agnes as a child. She was fascinated by stories of missionaries, and she was quite convinced by age 12 that she would become a missionary nun. In 1928, at the age of 18, she traveled to Ireland to join a convent community in order to learn English and to start the process of becoming a missionary nun. A year later, she moved to India to a convent community in Darjeeling where she studied Bengali and taught in a school. Agnes uh, took her vows as a nun in 1931, vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And as a nun, she chose for herself a new name. And she decided to be named after Saint Teresa of Lisieux, considered to be the patron saint of missionaries. Sister Teresa, as she was then known, moved to Calcutta, or Kolkata as it's now known, where she lived in a convent community and worked as a teacher in a convent school for nearly 20 years, uh, being appointed principal of the school in 1944, uh, aged 34. She loved her work as a school teacher and she loved community life. And that was great, but she became increasingly uneasy about the abject poverty she saw all around her in that Indian city. In September 1946, whilst traveling on a train, Sister Teresa explained that, uh, that she received what she would refer to as her call within a call, a call to leave her convent life in order to serve the poor whilst living among the poor. And she began this work two years later, discarding her nun's habit for a simple white sari with a white border. She adopted Indian citizenship and, after receiving some basic medical training at a hospital, ventured into the slums of Kolkata. Well, as with any call from God, beginnings are often tested. And she was sorely tested. Her first year was extremely difficult, begging for food and supplies and searching for a base to work from. One day, aching all over from the strain of walking many long miles, she wrote in her diary, The Comfort of Loretto, um, Loretto being the name of her former convent, convent community, that the comfort of Loretto came to tempt me. You only have to say the word and all that will be yours again. The tempter kept on saying, of free choice, my God, and out of love for you, I desire to remain and do whatever be your will, your holy will, in my regard. I did not let a single tear come. She was obviously sorely tempted to give up and to return to a more comfortable and secure life. But by 1949, Sister Teresa had been joined by a group of other young women, impressed by her lead, wanting to help, wanting to do the same thing that she was doing. And in 1950, the movement had grown to the point where she received permission from the Vatican in Rome, that being the headquarters of uh, the Roman Catholic Church. She received permission to establish an official Roman Catholic religious organization, the organization that would become known as the Missionaries of Charity, 
an organization seeking to serve the poorest of the poor. And as founder of that movement, Sister Teresa became Mother Teresa. From there, the work quickly gathered momentum, chiefly by way of attracting volunteers and also by way of attracting the attention and approval of authorities, uh, local and national, international, uh, church and state. Well, uh, let's speak for a moment in praise of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was an inspirational leader. Um, I think that was her, one of her charisms, a, a gift of leadership, a gift of leadership whereby people wanted to be where she was and do what she was doing. And um, that is a particular type of leadership. It's a particular type of gift. I, I, I know a few people have friends who have that gift. People just want to be where they are and do what they're doing. That was her gift. But she also had a teaching gift, and particularly a gift for articulating her faith and beliefs by way of short, pithy proverbs or sayings. And actually, if you search on the internet, there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of them. Teresa taught in parables, as the Israelites would say. Her more more famous sayings include, firstly, one about herself. By blood, I am Albanian. By citizenship, an Indian. By faith, I am a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. But her sayings also include some such as these. The most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. The hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. If you can't feed a hundred people, then feed just one. Um, Teresa's theology is clear both from her work and also from her Proverbs, the right response to the love of God for us in Christ Jesus is to love others. And love means treating every single other human being that we meet as a human being. Or, as she would say, as a child of God. Or, as perhaps I might say, as an image bearer. As someone who represents God. Teresa, I think, Teresa, I think, lived her life, if you like, in the image of the Good Samaritan who could not pass by on the other side, but, but rather had mercy. She lived her life, I think, with these words in her ears, the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 25. I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of these least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And radical inclusion was a hallmark of the facilities and institutions that she founded. All were welcome, Catholic or Protestant, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, communist, atheist, young or old, male or female. Um, In Teresa's hospices, uh, a hospice being a hospital dedicated to the needs of the dying, in Teresa's hospices, Muslims were read the Quran, Hindus received water from the Ganges, and Catholics received extreme unction. What underlay such a policy was the desire that the poorest of the poor, dying, might die in comfort and in tranquility, with dignity, with the dignity 
of their decisions and beliefs being respected. We should perhaps also speak in criticism of Mother Teresa, because for all of this, of course, Mother Teresa became a controversial figure. Substantial criticisms of Mother Teresa and her work have been made over the years, and we don't need to shy away from them. Here are some of them. Firstly, many people have argued that Mother Teresa and her followers have had an essentially negligible impact on poverty, particularly in India, in Kolkata. Many have noted that Ter Teresa and the missionaries of charity do essentially nothing with respect to tackling the underlying issues that create and sustain such global poverty. Likewise, there are plenty of people who have volunteered to work with or alongside the missionaries of charity and who have been appalled or disillusioned by things that they saw. For example, the hospices, certainly in the 1980s and 90s, I do not know what they're like today, but in, the, in those days they were decidedly pre-modern in their approach. Um, there was little or nothing by way of hygiene. Needles were washed under the tap before being reused. The dying lay on narrow cots in crowded and cramped conditions, and it wasn't necessarily obvious to some observers that anyone was any better off. Both of these criticisms are probably, as far as I can work out, essentially correct. But to defame or to discredit Teresa on the basis of such criticism is probably both unjust and misguided. Mother Teresa was concerned with individuals. Probably, indeed, her work in Kolkata was statistically insignificant in terms of population trends. But for me, um, that old story comes to mind. You know that internet legend? It's probably ended up in your email inbox at some point. You know there's a story. It's about a father and a son or a mother and a daughter. I don't know. It's about a parent and a child. And they're walking along a beach. And there's been some kind of marine event, some kind of catastrophe, whereupon many thousands of thousands of small fish or crabs or worms lie dying in the sun. The child picks up one and throws it back into the sea, presumably saving its life. The parent says, that's not going to make much of a difference. To which the child responds, it made a big difference to him. With respect to that internet legend, both the adult and the child make valid points. But returning to Teresa... Teresa is the child who isn't discouraged by the enormity of the problem so as not to throw back at least one. She is concerned for the individual. And whilst she may or may not have had a big impact on Kolkata in ways that scientists can measure, she undoubtedly had a huge impact on a vast sea of individuals. And, of course, as an Albanian born in 1910 and educated in Ireland before World War II, it is unfair to expect her to be cutting edge with respect to policies and ideas of global poverty eradication. Uh, you'd have to expect her to be old school, and she was. Uh, in 1984, and again, uh, some of you may remember, in 1984 there was a disaster associated with the Union Carbide plant in the Indian town of Bhopal, and about 2,500 people died, and vast numbers of people were injured and poisoned. When asked by the media for a response, when asked what people should do, 
Mother Teresa said, forgive, forgive. And of course, she was right. Forgiveness is not only essential, it is enormously powerful. As Christians, we understand her and we understand the prophetic power of her proclamation. Forgiveness is the nuclear bomb of spiritual warfare. It is unimaginably powerful when it comes to changing things. But for someone like uh, Christopher Hitchens, um, outspoken atheist and critic of Mother Teresa, these words, forgive, forgive, that they're easy to misunderstand and actually difficult to understand from his perspective. To Hitchens, this message made Mother Teresa a mouthpiece for the status quo, somebody quietening the masses and working against meaningful change. That's how many people heard her. Likewise, Mother Teresa met with and shook hands with all kinds of world leaders. For example, she received the Medal of Freedom from the hands of the then President of the USA, Ronald Reagan, with Nancy Reagan standing alongside. Critics noted that as a result of his policies, Ronald Reagan had blood on his hands, a lot of blood on his hands, the blood of the poorest of the poor in Central America, South America, the Middle East, and in many other places. But... Teresa accepted the medal unconditionally, her conscience apparently clean in doing so. And so, her critics noted, her profile was elevated and, by way of association, Ronald Reagan suddenly looks like the good guy, uh, the cowboy in the white hat, all shiny and good. And criticism of Mother Teresa becomes increasingly complex at this point. Many feel that she is an icon, basically, like Princess Di has become an icon, a person who is worshipped because they make us feel better about ourselves. With Mother Teresa's in the world, we can feel better about the fact that we do nothing. And many, I understand, in the majority world, feel that the mythology of Mother Teresa continues the mythology of <clears throat> the majority world being helpless and hopeless, except that nice white people come in and do good deeds. This criticism should give us pause for thought. Certainly, I'm not interested in presenting 20th century Christians so that we might worship them. And indeed, uncritical hero worship is actually a part of what canonization is all about. Is Mother Teresa a saint? Well, actually, all believers are part of the saints in the Bible. Uh, and there are no singular saints in the Bible. That's just not a concept you meet in the New Testament. So if, if you believe in Jesus, you too are a member of the saints, along with me and Mother Teresa. Lastly, the most common criticism of Mother Teresa is that she was an outspoken critic of contraception, abortion, and divorce, three things she had zero tolerance for. And indeed, she lectured the Congress of the United States of America and various other world leaders on what she saw as the horrors of these sins, especially abortion. Insofar as she did this, people see Mother Teresa as little more than a mouthpiece for the far-right conservative wing of Roman Catholicism.
Again, I think she is easy to misunderstand, and perhaps, but perhaps not that difficult to understand. Uh, Mother Teresa was always concerned for the individual and her stance on abortion, whilst acknowledging that that is a complex, not a simple issue. Her stance on abortion reflects her passion for every human being to be respected as a child of God an image-bearer. And with these thoughts in mind, then, let's think theologically about Mother Teresa's witness. What does her life stand for with respect to being a witness? I'd like to make two points, and in fact, I have already made the first. Mother Teresa insisted on seeing human beings as human beings as children of God, each individual a child of God, and doing her very, very best to love all of them. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The, the second point is one that I've actually kept under wraps till now. Um, you see, Mother Teresa was a person of enormous moral authority. And I would like us to think for a moment as to where that authority came from. Ronald Reagan, Prince Charles, the Queen, Prime Ministers and Presidents, they all wanted to meet with her, to be seen with her, to be photographed with her. And she received a huge number of prizes and awards in her life. And she lectured world leaders on loving one another and caring for the poor, as well as on the crime of abortion. And they listened. What gave Mother Teresa this authority? Where did her authority come from? Well, spiritually, the answer is quite clear. It came from sacrifice. Uh, you may have already been wondering why I would choose that horrendous Old Testament reading for today. Uh, the king of Moab sacrifices his firstborn son on the city wall and on a day when the king kids are in and on a day where we have visitors for dedication. Stephen, what were you thinking? I could hear you thinking. Um, well, I'm about to tell you what I was thinking. Uh, you see, all human beings register instinctively that there is a relationship between authority and sacrifice. Simply put... You cannot graduate from medical school without a great deal of sacrifice. But if you make that sacrifice, you are given a great deal of authority. The Bible assumes that there is spiritual power and authority in sacrifice, although it never explains exactly how that works. The king of Moab is at his wit's end, his kingdom has been overrun by his neighbors, the Israelites. The towns have been destroyed. The people have been slaughtered. The fields have been rendered useless. The springs have been filled in. A counterattack has failed. Devastation, scorched earth, genocide everywhere. What to do? He takes his firstborn son, heir to the throne, and he kills him. He offers him up as a sacrifice to his God on the city wall. Well, actually, we know what this is, don't we? This is satanic. Uh, this is a satanic ritual. Even if Misha, king of, 
king of Moab didn't understand it precisely in those terms. That's what we're looking at here. But he knew that with sacrifice comes power. It's, it's ironic, isn't it? It's ironic when Satanists understand spiritual principles more clearly than Christians. Misha was right. And Israel could not stand against what was unleashed against them in the spiritual realms because they were compromised, spiritually compromised at home, idolatry, spiritually compromised abroad, being somewhere they had no rights to be, doing things they had no rights to do, misusing their power. And the fury against them was great, and they had to withdraw. With sacrifice comes authority and power. Jesus then knows what he is talking about when he says, Mark 12, 43, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. You see, they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. It would be easy to uh, misunderstand Jesus, wouldn't it? And to imagine that he is indulging in some pious sentimentality. The hard-headed could easily reply, well, <clears throat> that's all very well, old boy, but the material point is you can't run a temple on two lepta a week. Jesus is not being sentimental. The woman is a widow. She has no one to look after her. She has put in two lepta, two very small Greek copper coins of essentially negligible value, showing us that she could easily have put in one. The rich might have put in lavish gifts, this one donating $1,000, that one $10,000, but neither of them in doing so putting in jeopardy the quality of their lifestyle, a lifestyle that was the envy of others. To which, of course, Jesus can say, well, that's very well. That's all very well, old boy. But the material point is that your gift carries no authority in the spiritual realms because it was hardly a sacrifice. Jesus, we notice, doesn't feel sorry for the widow, nor does he feel obliged to help her. The widow knows the same thing as the as Misha, king of Moab, and the same thing that Jesus knows, that with sacrifice comes authority. She knows she will be all right because she knows that God will look after her, even if she doesn't know where her next meal is coming from. Question for you. Have a think about this. How much authority does the church have today with respect to mainstream society in the English-speaking world? I'm guessing some of you are thinking nil, and others of you are thinking less than nil. The institutional church is worse than irrelevant. It has become an embarrassment. Second question, how wealthy is the church today in the English-speaking world? I think you've got my point. The wealthier a person or institution becomes, the harder it is for it to have any real authority in the spiritual realms because it offers up tips and gratuities, not real sacrifices.
Mother Teresa's authority was born of her sacrifice. She gave it all up. And in doing that, in giving it all up, she was copying God. God, our Father, sacrificed his firstborn son, heir to the throne of King David, on the hill outside of the city gate, Jerusalem. And he did that because no sacrifice could ever carry the necessary power and authority. Um, no sacrifice we could offer could ever carry the necessary authority that we might be forgiven. We cannot atone for our own sins. We are compromised at home and abroad, inside out. But Christ's sacrifice did carry the necessary authority, for he had never sinned, a lamb without blemish. By his blood, by the power and authority of that sacrifice, we are forgiven and set free. But Jesus calls us to go and do likewise, to offer it all up. If we want power and authority in the spiritual realms, we now know what to do. We know what it will look like, and we know that it will look like, in one way or another, what Mother Teresa did. The response that God values is this, to keep our tongues in check, to look after those that others ignore, to help them in their distress in real and practical ways, and to keep ourselves from being polluted by the nonsense of this world. May your word live in us and bear you much fruit to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.